You know, vision correction is about really the healing of the blind man by Jesus, the man who was born blind. It's one of the unique chapters in the Bible, by the way, John 9, certainly in the Gospels. I mean, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk about and give us an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. John, though, um, characterizes the ministry of Jesus in a very unique way. He emphasizes the love of God, the Son of God. Um, each Gospel has its own unique emphasis. Anyway, the point is, in John 9, we have something that's actually not that common. We have an entire chapter devoted to one man's story. In this case, it's an extensive chapter that's focusing on the healing of the man born blind. Now, here's the thing. We don't even know his name, but we get a lot of insight into who he was and his character kind of emerges out of the page. It just, it speaks to us. There's a lot of a lot of aspects that invite us to use our imagination. It's what I've been wanting us to do. And I want us to keep doing as we sort of engage this, this experience of this man. I want us to try to see and sense and feel what was going on. Now, some of you may recall, we focused on the early part of that, that account. The first, mm, let me just kind of reset the first 12 verses and then we'll pick up. Uh, in the handout, you'll see that there's a number of other verses there. We'll get into them. You can follow along the handout if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps. But I'm going to basically reset verses 1 through 12. It says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was born blind. And the Bible makes it kind of clear, by the way, what follows, hits next, is that Jesus stopped and he looked at him. Now, he may have seen this man before. It seems to have been a spot where, where the, the man born blind would beg. Um, perhaps they had passed him earlier. But Jesus stops, says, as he was passing by, he saw a man born blind. And the disciples noticed Jesus looking at him. And they asked a question. It was a why question. They said, Lord, why is this man blind? Why, was he, why is he blind? What did he do? Um, did, did, did his... This reveals how they saw things. Did he sin or did his parents sin that he was born like this? And Jesus says... Neither of those things. Neither did he sin nor his parents. And then he utters a statement. But that the Son of, but that the son of God, that God may be glorified. That, that the works of God may be made known, may be displayed. And he says, while it is, you know, we must work the works. And then he says this. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For the night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's a statement he makes. Think about what, what, he's, think about what he's about to do. He's talking about the man born blind, and he's about to heal him. And he makes that statement, right? We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. He's talking about his cr the cross. He goes, as long as I am in the world, he tells them, I am the light of the world. 
I am the light of the world. And then he gets down and the Bible says that he spits on the ground and he, he takes the dirt and he starts to make mud. Like a, and he anoints the eyes. And I imagine again him saying, what are you doing? And Jesus says, let me do this. If you do this, let me put this on your eyes. You'll be healed. He puts it on his eyes, the scripture says, and tells him, now go to the pool of Siloam, which it says, which means sent, and wash and it says that he went and he washed and he could, he could see. He was made well. Then the scripture continues and it says this. It says that he went and his neighbors and the people said, Hey, are you the blind beggar that used to beg? What happened to you? Is, is that you? And some said, yeah, that is him. And someone else said, no, it's not. It's just somebody who looks like him. And he said, it is me. And they said, what happened to you? And he said, well, there was this man named Jesus. And he got down and he, he, made, some, he made some mud out of, out of the dirt. And he, 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 he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I would be made well. And I did. And now I can see. Well, where is he? I don't know. My part thrown in. What does he look like? I don't know. I've never seen him, right? <laughs> I just know who he was. And then it says, well, we got it. This is, this is, when did this happen? Uh, you know, it happened on the Sabbath. We need to take, we, you know, this is an amazing thing that's happened here. It's extraordinary. And it's not just what happened, it's, it's how it's happened. And we need to take you to go talk to the authorities and explain to them your story. We would, I think the Pharisees would be very interested on what, with what happened. They would like to know about it. And that's your 13th verse there. You can follow along with me. And it says this, that as, as they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees again asked him how he had received. So they bring him into the room. They asked him how he would have talked to you. Explain to us what happened. Well, you know, again, he, he's supposed to tell the story. Now, it's a very intimidating environment. I think we need to remember that, that he walks into. These are very powerful people. They're the highest officials. They're the temple authorities. Um, they're very learned. This is an intimidating group. They, they bring him in. He's not accustomed to this kind of an environment. He's brought in there probably reluctantly by a group of people who wanted him to tell his story because it had theological ramifications. It was actually connecting to a larger issue that he wasn't even really aware of. He's just kind of brought into it. Uh, he gets in there and they say, now we need to tell, tell us what happened to you. Well, there was this, it, was, it was the Sabbath and, and, and uh, Jesus, this, this, the man named Jesus, and he starts to tell his story. He, he got down and he... He got down. Yeah, he got down and he started, he started making, he made mud. Yeah, he made it and he put it on my, you put it on your eyes. Yeah, he did. And he told me to go walk. And I did to this pool called Siloam. And then he said, watch when I got there. And I did. And, and, and I, I can see. Now look what it says happened, right? Some of the Pharisees said, this man, not the, not the blind man, Jesus, who he was talking about, said, this man, Jesus, he he cannot be from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. How can a man who is a sinner? The others said, there was, the group of them said, there's no way he's from God he would, because he's violating the Sabbath. 
And the others started to say, but then wait a second, but then how could he not be from God if, he, if he's able to heal somebody like this? And there was, we're told, how can, he do, how can a sinner do such signs? And then it says here, look at the verse. It says there was such a division. There was this huge fight that breaks out in the middle of this, right? You get this, this group of people to start arguing with each other about the legitimacy. What, they were, what were they arguing? In other words, instead of rejoicing over the miracle, they were debating whether the power that Jesus used to heal was good or bad. Was he from God or was it um, something far more nefarious, maybe evil in substance, a power that was evil that was used here? And the room was divided. It was intense. Some of us might say, well, that is just utterly incredible that people could like lose, <laughs> get into an argument about how somebody was healed and miss the larger point that he was healed. But then that would be viewing it strictly from our cultural context and we would be missing something. And just like every time we judge something history exclusively, for example, out of our present cultural context, we miss something. Um, in this case, you, we must understand that the Pharisees were fully committed. I just need to say it this way. They were a group of religious men in this case who were fully, fully committed. And they had many followers, men and women, but they were very committed to the law of the scripture. The sacredness of Sabbath was not even open to debate with them. It was one of the 10 great commandments that God gave to Israel when they were a people in bondage in Egypt. God had delivered them under the leadership of Moses with a mighty miracle hand. They had no identity. They had no sense of, of anything that you would call confidence as a people. And it says that God gave them in the middle of that that place where they were. He gave them his words, his very words. He gave them his law from the mountain of Sinai. He, God gave Moses words. And at the center of that law, the center of the words of God was the, what we call the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments gave them identity. It gave them a kind of a sense of, of purpose as a people. It was something that they treasured and valued and connected to everything that meant something to them. And so in one of those commands, the fourth was you need to keep the Sabbath holy. And to keep it holy was don't do any work. Rest on the Sabbath. Right? Honor God by not working one day a week. Recreate yourself because you are not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You are more than beasts of burden. You are created in the very image of God. It was a powerful truth. They had held it on. They had held it. By Jesus' day, they, there was no question. Everybody believed to honor the Sabbath was correct. The question was, and we were supposed to rest, everything shut down for one thing. But the real question was, and this was being debated by many different schools of the rabbis and Pharisees and even the Sadducees, different groups of religious teachers were debating, rabbis were debating, well, what exactly constitutes work? We all agree you're not supposed to work, but what constitutes work? And they had different perspectives. You could do this, you could do that, something's this, something's that. One of the primary ways of thinking at the time of Jesus was you should not be doing medical practice and healing. That would be considered like a doctor going to work. It would be inappropriate. Maybe in, there was other group that would say, well, some rare exceptions. And they, had a biblical, they had a reason for it. But for the most part, there was an agreement that you were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So to have Jesus come in and do this for them was a problem. They had strong feelings. It was a big deal. Um, 
Some felt that Jesus had violated the law of Moses and therefore they said he cannot be from God. There is no way he can be someone from God when he violates the very center of what God has given us as a people. How can he be from God? Others said, no, no, but how could he be not from God? How could he be a, a sinner by which they meant lawbreaker or bad person? How could he be that and do this good? And so that was the debate that was going on. Now, in all fairness, Jesus, it must be admitted, had shown little respect for the hypersensitive interpretation of Sabbath. You could, uh, you could almost make the case that he intentionally went out of his way sometimes to do things to heal people on the Sabbath. You could almost suggest that his way of healing, which was unlike any other that he had ever done, was intentionally designed. Now, for one thing, when he says, I am the light of the world, and he heals the man born blind from his birth, that is a connection to everything he has come to do, to address the complete, utter lost condition of a human race by giving his own self. The light would come into the darkness and bring light and life, right? That's the essence of him. He's, that's why he, he was taught. But he, does, he, does, he has him do physical things, and you get the impression that Jesus knows what he's doing. Now, that's the atmosphere. It's tense. Big arguments have been going. They've been, I, remember we talked about it? The blind man probably, who was brought in initially to tell a story, he's probably sitting on the sideline going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. These guys are going at it. And they're intense. And they're passionate. And they're angry. And they're getting in each other's faces. And there's a dominant group. And a dominant group of them do not believe that Jesus is who he, he says he is. They do not believe he's from God. Because you don't break the Sabbath. You don't, you don't violate the laws of Moses. You're not, he's not from, whatever he is, he isn't from God. There's another group that was smaller. They were more ambivalent. Hey, he might be, he might not be. And there was maybe a minority of who said, you know, he has to be from God. And they're all going at it. And the blind man is there and he's he, the one who's been healed. And, he, and he's going, man, you know, I know what he's, he's probably thinking. He's going, wow, no one really cares that I can actually see right now, right? <laughs> it's like... It's like, just check this. His healing was a sideshow afterthought. The real thing had to do with Jesus and the Sabbath. And that's what they were debating. Whatever happened to him, uh, what the debate. You know, you go, what? It, how? They say, okay, hey, hey, hey. I want to talk to you. Come back over here. This is where we left. We have a question for you, because they had come to a conclusion. We have a question for you. Now remember, he's been watching everything that's been going on. He understands, whatever answer I give right now, I'm going to get a bunch of people mad at me, right? They said, we have a question for you. What's your opinion of this man? Tell us what you think. And part of him is going, oh my goodness, right? But he's been listening. He's been listening to them talk, and he goes, you know, remember he came in saying there was this man named Jesus. Now he's been listening. He says, well, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not trained or anything, but if you ask me what my opinion is, uh, I would have to say that, that, that he, uh, he's a prophet, by which he meant he's from God. That's what I would say. I would say he's a prophet from God. 
And that he and and and, and look at the, look at the verse here. It's, it, now it says <laughs> that when he says that, right? Again, the majority of the room wa- was not that was the that was not the answer the majority of the room wanted to hear. Uh, many of them, by the way, had even come to the conclusion. I don't even know if you actually were blind. <laughs> you know what? Go find his parents. We want to talk to them. You stay here. We're going to get your parents. And it says, look at, look at, the, I'm not, look at the verse. It says, verse 18, the Jewish leaders still refuse to believe the man. By the way, everybody in the room is Jewish. So just remember that, right? They still refuse to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called his parents, right? So their first move is to, to, to undermine the legitimacy of the healing. The second one is to maybe even deny it even happened. So they summoned the parents. Now his mother and father must have been somewhat, you've got to understand this. They would have been utterly terrified at their predicament. I'll tell you why in a moment. This was not just, oh, can you verify this is your son? No, this had other implications. They understood that they were going to have to face the temple authorities the Pharisees in particular, and that they were armed, these, this group of leaders, religious but social leaders as well, were armed with a weapon. And that weapon is something we might call excommunication. Um, Jesus had told his disciples that the time would come when they would be cast out of synagogues because of their loyalty to him. He said that in John 16. And we also know something else. We know that many, many leaders believed in Jesus, but they were afraid to say so. Check this verse out. That's what they could put it up from John 12. Look at this. It says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, they believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not, what, confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And it's not like they were, were talking about just getting run out of church. It's very different. There, was a, there were two kinds of, essentially, being put out of the synagogue. There were two kinds of excommunication. One was what we might call a more modest version, a less severe one. It was a temporary um, putting out, casting out, where maybe it could last for a month or some specific time frame. But there was another one. It was called the ban in the Hebrew, the haram. The cursed by which a man or a woman was banished for life. It was called a community death penalty, essentially. To be cut off from your people. Stigmatized, ostracized before God and community was scary. And I think it's really hard for us to appreciate this in our culture. I don't think there's anything that we have that quite compares to it. It was not like you're just being put out of church. Oh, you can't go to church. No, 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 no. People, this was your place. This was your community. People lived, were born, lived, and died in the same place. They had family networks, friendship networks. It was a community. Uh, It was all built around what you shared as a people with God. These were your people. If you were put out, if if that were to happen, you you were cut off. Your world ended. You were were essentially a walking pariah in your own place. To be put out, to be given that, was was like a death blow. And people were afraid. And the word was out. You better watch how you talk about Jesus. Because you could get put out. It was intense. 
And clearly it's on the mind of the parents when they make their way there. They've called for us. Yes, they want to talk to you. About what? They want to talk to you about your son and Jesus. Oh. You can feel their trepidation and caution. Watch the exchange. Watch what happens. Verse 19, you can see it there. It's in your handout. They asked them, they said, well, it's answer some questions for us. I imagine this, the, the man formerly blind is over here. Is this, we just need, you need to verify some things for us. Can you do that? Firstly, is this your son? Amen. Secondly, be very clear. Was he born blind? Was he born blind? Also, if he was, you need to explain to us how he can now see. How would you answer these questions? His parents replied, right? Okay, firstly, he is our son. We know he is our son. And we can also tell you that he was born blind. He came out of the womb blind. He's never seen a thing in his life. Till now. Um, look what it says. We know this is our son, that he was born blind, but we don't, but as for how it happened, we don't know how, how it happened. We don't know how we can see. We don't know uh, who healed him. You know what? Um, you should ask him. <laughs> he's old enough. You really don't need us. We're, he's old enough to speak. You're old enough to speak for yourself right now. Well, he's definitely our son. He's of age. Now look, oh, you think I'm excited? Look at what it says next, 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, He's old enough. Why don't you ask him what happened? We, we're not really, uh, we really don't know anything. And so they said, fine, all right, fine. Hey, get back over here. We want to talk to you some more. And so it says, what does it say? For the second time, they bring him. They call the man who had been born blind. Now watch. They have come to a consensus as a group. The debate is over. Jesus is not of God in their mind. They call them back over. They say, we want to ask you a question again. In fact, we need you to do something. This is what you need to do. You need, listen, you need, you see it. You need right now to give glory to God because that man is a sinner. Do you understand what we just said? You need to give glory to God and reject this man who is a sinner. Because we know he is one. He has violated the Sabbath. They put him in a whole category with the worst of people at this point. In their mind, the unrighteous, the prostitutes, the publicans, the tax collectors, um, vassals of Rome, thieves, all of them together, and now Jesus thrown in there as well. And they say, we know, he, we know this man is a sinner. You give glory to God and you, you, you pull away from this man. Now, here's a guy, he's got an issue right now, doesn't he? You've got to remember how that day began. You got, for him, his day began in darkness. He, he began in darkness. He had never seen in his life the sun. 
Never saw a tree rustle in the wind. The colors that we all take for granted. Never seen a face. Never seen the face of his own parents who were scared to death. And now they were telling him, and that wasn't until this man named Jesus had stooped, stopped, and put clay on his eyes and had him washing the pool. This is the first time he had ever seen anything in his whole life. And now these, these, these officials, these powerful and these intimidating men were telling him, you give glory to God and you renounce the man who healed you. I, I, oh. Watch what he says. Whether... I, whether he is a sinner, I, I don't know that. I'm no theologian. You're the, you're the, you're the, you're the theologian. Whether he's a sinner or not, I'm no, I'm no expert. No, I, all, what I do know, I can't, I can't, ren I can't renounce that. I was blind, but now I can see because of him. What do you want me to do? What? They said to him, okay, listen. Let's get back into this one more time. We want to talk about where he healed you, how he healed you. We want to, look what it says. Okay, look, come back here. We, what did, okay, tell us again exactly what he did to you. How he did it. We want to know. Tell us exactly, tell us how did he, go over it again. In, be more precise this time. How did he specifically open your eyes? I want to go, let's go back over the story again. And by this point, Look what he says. You can feel the exasperation. I have all, he answered them. He says, look, I have, all, I have told you already and you won't listen to me. What do you, what do you, what do you want me to, what do you want to hear it again? I don't understand. I, I've told you everything. I mean, you know, I've been telling this story all day. To everybody has been asking me. I've, been I've told it to you already. Everything I know I've already told you. Why do you want me to tell you again? I'm getting tired of telling it again. Do you want to be his disciple too? Got a little sarcastic there. Uh, oh, the witty fellow waxes sarcastic and he unleashes a storm. It says when he said that, I don't, I'm, I've been telling you all day. What, do you want to be his disciple too? I was like, you know what? And it says, the scripture says, they reviled him. They, they let loose. They cursed him. They verbally abused him. They went at him. You can feel the anger. And look what they, 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 and they say, you can see it's like, it's like they just trigger it. They go, when he says that, they go, after they finished laying into him, they said, you are his disciple. You are, we are the disciples of Moses. This man is not from God. You can just feel the passion coming right out of that, right? What we are the disciples of Moses. We know that we know. Remember, he, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from, right? It's power. It's intense. Our allegiance is with Moses. God gave him the law. That was true, but one greater than Moses was among them, and they knew it not. Watch what happens. It's a beautiful moment. The man answers. Because remember, they just went at him. And he goes, well, that's an amazing thing then. That's an amazing thing then. That you don't know where he comes from. 
and yet he opened my eyes? We know, listen, that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then God listens to him. He, he, clearly, when he was little, they put him through Sunday school. That's pretty clear to me. I mean, I can tell. <laughs> We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then God listens to him. Now, I'm telling you, never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he, he could do nothing. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with us? And it's, you know what it says? That, and, okay. This is where we're stopping, by the way, <laughs> okay? Because you know what? It, if, we're going to cover it next week. But what he says, is that when he says that, they get so mad. They physically, I mean physically, carry him and they throw him out. It's an intense moment, this capture. We're going to talk about that. As I was thinking about this, what happened, what we just, this exchange we just was saying, there's a couple of things I want us to take with us into the next two weeks. One of the things I'm reminded of, and I'll just put it up there, you guys, just for us to think about, human, the limitations of human wisdom and intellect, particularly when it relates to spiritual matters, and the, and, the, and the gift of childlike faith. The Pharisees and the scribes were some of the most educated and intellectual men of their age and their nation. They were not slip-shod thinkers. No, they were serious. They were resolute. They were, like, meticulous they were highly intelligent. They were, according to Jesus, uh, impressive in every way, but they were utterly blind. He says, you are spiritually blind. You should be, <laughs> it's like, you're unable to see the beautiful. And, and, and literally, I, there's probably few examples that capture how they had imprisoned, themsel imprisoned themselves. They built their own prison, stepped into the prison, and locked the door. Their own rigid intelligence and their inability to break out of what they thought they knew so clearly prevented them from seeing the beautiful and the, and the, the humble things that Jesus was bringing, the beautiful thing that was being done, at the, or to quote the, the man born blind, the amazing thing that has been done before your eyes. And they couldn't see it. They were stuck in the prison they built for themselves around the Sabbath. And it's a reminder to me that there are some things, all, despite all their wisdom, all their advantage, all their training, they were unable to appreciate the beautiful thing that Jesus was bringing. Uh, may, may we never allow uh, the blessings of life, the advantages of life, the, the, the power, whatever we acquire, to hinder our faith. Blessed is the one who knows their need. Blessed is the one who knows how to plead. In their pleading, they will find their pride has made them blind by asking the doors open wide. I mean, we can have so much. We can be so smart. We can, we can literally cut ourselves off from God. It's a reminder to me that we can have so much things to be proud of. And if we don't have an ability to believe Jesus, we are actually very poor. And we may have very little, but if our heart is open to God, Jesus taught us, then you, you have wealth beyond measure. The other thing here I noted 
is the power of, of our unique story of grace. What I'm talking about is our personal experience of his touch. You gotta hear me here. Look, the, the beggar's power was his, his truth and his refusal to be cajoled in an untruth. He knew, this is what he knew. You know what he knew? He knew what had happened to him. Now they could tell him all they wanted. They could explain why Jesus wasn't who he, he was, why Jesus was bad and why he was a lawbreaker. And they could, they could have all that. Whole, but the one thing he knew was, all I know is I was blind and he touched me and I can see. I, that is my story. And I, you're asking me, I can't, it's almost, I'm looking at that. He knew, he knew no matter what they said, no matter how much they sought to diminish Jesus in his eyes, that it was Jesus who had opened his eyes. And there are few things more powerful than our personal experience of the healing touch of Jesus in our lives. There's a power uniquely in just declaring the gospel. Romans 1 says, uh, you know, it is the power of God unto salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the message of Jesus, the good news. It is the power of God unto salvation. The power, there's power in just declaring it. His death, his burial, his resurrection. But there's also a power if you can think of it this way, there's also a force in sharing how the gospel has changed us and how it has transformed and is transforming us. That is our story. That's our story of grace. It's unique to us. No one can take it away. Um, it's yours, your own. No one can take it. No one can tell you that it isn't true. It is you and his touch. And it's only, look, there's a larger story of Jesus. We're all invited into it. We're, many of us have chosen to step into it. It's part of what our church is doing. We're going to talk about the story of Jesus. And we're all part of that story. We share that story. It's shared with people all over the world. It's a story of, of a love of God. We, we talk about the sharing. But there, within the larger story of Jesus, that when we give him our lives and open up our hearts to him, we become part of that. There's also a very unique story of his grace that only, it's, it's your story. It's yours. I am mine. No one else's. It's your story of his touch in your life. And for people, it may not be impressive for someone. It may be, it may be people who try to talk you out of it. What are you gonna get, get? No, but it's my story. This is what he did in my life. I felt his touch in my life. I've had things opened up in my life. I can't, you're asking me to deny my, I can't deny my story. It's my, it's just my, I anchor myself in my story. I know what I know. What I know is he's touched me. This is what I know. You're asking me to tell, I got it. That's my story. This is working in my life. Oh, that's, it's my story. You can't believe, hey, I can't, it's my story. Oh, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, the touch of his hand on our eyes, the change he has brought, we cannot deny it or be argued out of or pushed away from his kingdom come, his will be done, his grace, his spirit, spirit breath upon our face and the words we hear, no more, no more beautiful sound, son, daughter, beloved one, you were lost, but now you're found. They were trying to move him away from Jesus to persuade him to distance himself. But he wouldn't deny, couldn't deny what had happened to him. And I'll leave this, and this will be the final thing I want to just suggest, and then we'll put it up there. Not only do we have our own story, but listen, I want, to, I want us to see how sharing our story deepens our story. It, faith grows more deeply as we share our story with others. The more we share, the, this way, the more he shared his story, 
even though they had forced him to do it, the deeper it went into him, the more his faith grows. You watch. I mean, they pushed him. They put, the more he shared, I don't have to tell you again, but every time he told it, something grew in him. Like, a, like he started to grow. His, that story grew, deepened in him. And you know what? There's a powerful truth here. If we, if we take it, it's ours. The more we share the story, our story, the story of his grace at work in, his, in our lives, the touch of his grace, the more we share that story with others, the more it deepens inside of us. That's, think about it. That's one of the reasons why this Easter haha, is such a great opportunity why? Because we get, to, we get to share the story. It's like, it's way, look, our purpose is way more than like some, do some nice art, artistic cool thing or, you know, so we can say, oh, I got an ad over here. No, that's, that's all secondary stuff. The purpose is to be able to create an avenue to be able to talk about Jesus as our mission statement, right? To, to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him, right? It's about, it's about being able to share our story. It's about sharing the larger story of Jesus and then creating opportunities for us to share our story. And for some of us, it might be before, or it might be afterwards, and we say, hey, what do you think about that? Let's talk about it. And we share our story of grace. It's my story. And you know what that does? It's like a, a, it's a, it's a win in multiple directions. One, not only when we share the story of God's grace at work in our lives, and we're perfect, I mean, we have our act together, we, we have struggles, but we have something of his real touch in our lives. When I share that with you, not only does that person receive the blessing of what I'm giving them, right? The story of grace that I'm sharing. That is a, a blessing in and of itself. But the benefit is also mine because just as the blind man, as he shared his story, that story was deepened in him. So it is when we give our story away, it, it, it's like we give it away, but it deepens inside of us. It's like a win, 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 win. That's why we're supposed to be about the master's business. That's why you need to go ahead and reserve your tickets to the Easter presentation, all right? Exactly why. <laughs> Pray about who God wants us to share our story with. Ah, I want to share that story, Lord. I want, I want to I share my story of grace as we share our, our story about you. I want to be open. I want to be courageous. I want to invite others into it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see as part of my story. All right, let's pray. Um, Lord, as we come to this time of closing and we have our, our song we close with, it's just going to talk about your love and how we want to give it away. Uh, I ask that you would just give us all um, a hunger, a yearning to want to honor you in our lives, tell our stories, stories of a grace in a, uh, in our, at work in our lives, of a love that doesn't quit, um, of the transforming touch that you bring and you're still bringing through the pain and through the hurts and through the, the joys and through all of life. Just like that blind man born blind, our eyes were open. We feel your touch in our lives and we want to share that with others. Help us to be courageous. Help us to tell the story. Help us to share the story. I just ask that there be a lot of life that would flow as we celebrate the life you gave to give us life. You who are the light of the world, shine through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Amen God.